Welcome to the Vine. Have a seat. Welcome, welcome. If you're here for the first time, we're so glad uh, you are here. Uh, if you're joining us because maybe a friend or a family member is getting baptized, uh, we're also so glad you're with us today. Uh, my name is Andrew. All right, how are we doing? There you go. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great. We're in week two of a short uh, two-week series on the biblical vision of beauty. And we started off last week uh, really trying to unpack the theological foundations of beauty. And we talked about last week how there's this interesting phenomenon where beauty and suffering so often go together. We, we talked last week about the reality that we often want to bring flowers to a funeral. Or we want to write a beautiful get well card to someone who's in the hospital. We, we have this innate desire in us to partner beauty and suffering alongside of each other. And, and I, I gave us a provocative question last week. I said, if that's the case, then could it be actually that beauty could save the world? And we said last week that, well, perhaps not the beauty that we normally think of when we hear the word beauty. You know, the subjective, ascetic, eye of the beholder kind of beauty the sort of beauty where everybody has an opinion as to whether something is beautiful or ugly. And, and when you look at beauty in that way, you might, you might be forgiven for thinking, like, how can there be any hope in that kind of flimsy beauty? That there can't be surely any way that that type of beauty could impact suffering. And, and so I challenged us last week that perhaps the way we define beauty is wrong. Perhaps the way that the world considers and looks at beauty is actually not the way that the scriptures speak of what beauty truly is. And so we went on a little journey last week of opening up the Old Testament and the New Testament for this concept of beauty. And we saw that beauty has actually a lot less to do with ascetic subjectiveness and much more to do with objective goodness. That beauty, as Scripture defines it, is about splendor and majesty and wonder and mystery and ultimately always pointing us towards the concept of glory. That beauty speaks of the reality that there is a divine, objective goodness in the world that's been woven into the fabric of creation, and we can know that kind of beauty, and that beauty can set us free. We looked at the reality of that beauty, didn't we, last week in Genesis 1 and 2? And we said that we see this beautiful picture right at the beginning of Scripture on what beauty is all about. We, we saw a, a formless, dark, and shapeless world, but the Holy Spirit hovering over it, waiting to bring it into life. And, and then as God speaks, let there be life, we see that God in his creative goodness creates the world, brings order out of that place of chaos. And at the end of every day of that creativeness of taking something that is chaotic and bringing it into a place of order, God stands back and says, this is good. The actual Hebrew word there is the same word for beauty. This is beautiful. It's beautiful because what was chaotic now has order and structure and shalom and peace to it. And we saw last week that the culmination of that creation is humanity made in God's image. In other words, we are made beautiful in him so that we can then partner with God in the outworking of beauty in the world. But we, but we see what happens in Genesis 3. Where humanity, through its choice to, to sin in that moment, takes the world back into a place of chaos. And the rest of Scripture really is the big question of, can we ever know and encounter beauty again? Like, would order ever come to the chaos that sits in us? 
And we said last week that, of course, Jesus is that answer, isn't he? His life, his death, his resurrection. He's the one who comes to create that order in us again. And, and as we see the work of the cross and the way that Christ sheds his blood so we would know redemption of our sin, so that we would come into a place of order again with him, forgiveness and mercy and grace, so that we can live a, a new creation, as Paul speaks of it. As we see that journey, we get to understand the power of the glory of God, and we receive then the calling on us as his people to be those people that can walk out that glory in the world around us. So I said to us last week that the definition, a biblical definition of beauty is this, that beauty is the objective, creative work of God to bring order out of chaos. Making sense? Still with me? That that is the journey that God is in in our lives. That's what he's done in each one of us. And so I can stand before you today looking at every single one of you in this room and online, and I can say you are beautiful. I mean, you really are beautiful. And I can give you two biblical reasons why when you woke up this morning and looked in that mirror, you don't see ugliness, but you should see beauty. Because you are one that God has taken by his spirit and has begun to rejuvenate by the work of his power and his mercy in your life. You are one who was chaotic in your sin and now is walking in a place of sanctification. It's just a biblical word. That means we're going from one aspect of glory to the next, becoming more and more like his son Jesus. Ephesians 4 welcomes us, doesn't it, into this beautiful invitation that we would know the wholeness of the wholeness of Christ. And so you are beautiful because the Spirit of God is at work in your chaos, bringing you into a place of order. Does that make sense? But you're also beautiful because God has called you not just to be one who receives the work of beauty in your life, but one who actually then commits yourself to living out acts of beauty in the world. In other words, you're not just saved so you would know order. You're called by God as a human being to now be one who goes into the world and brings the offer and the hope of that order for them themselves. And there are 21 people getting baptized today who can testify that somebody somewhere in their life has shared the good hope of Jesus with them and they're moving into the waters. We go down into the waters of baptism to say that we go down into that darkness that we used to have and we come up out of it washed clean by the hope of Jesus. That, my friends, is beauty. And we come out of it clean, not so that we can just get our ticket to heaven and be more holy people, we come out of it now with a mandate that we ourselves are called to go into the world with evangelism and mission and hope to share the good, beautifulness of God in our lives with everyone around us. That's the journey of the Christian life. So, so let me say this to you, and it's really important you hear this. Christians should be curators of beauty. I mean, we are the ones who go into the world and announce what is beautiful by partnering with the Holy Spirit to do acts that bring goodness and peace and shalom to all of the chaos around us. That's what we've been invited into, friends. That call came right at the beginning in Genesis 2 where he said, I want you to go and steward all of creation. You can see what's beautiful around you. Now go and be my beauty in the world. 
And that same calling now sits on us today. That we get to move into the world offering the hope of Jesus, doing acts of beauty, speaking life where there is chaos, bringing light where there is darkness, participating with the hope of God. Now that's really good news. That's really good news right now for the city of Hong Kong. A theologian once put this whole work of beauty like this. He says, God gave us grain and grapes, and in return, we give him bread and wine. There is a participation with the Holy Spirit in taking the things that God has done in our lives and creating something that can show the world the beauty and the glory of God. And I think if that's true, then us Christians need to lean in, perhaps more than anyone else, to the creative impulses that are placed in us. That those creative impulses that, that, that cause us to want to create something, do something, say something, help somebody, pause for a moment in our offices, walk with someone, listen to them, look at the things that are happening around us and try to bring some goodness and peace and shalom into the world. Why? Because to do so is a sacramental act, much like communion. To partner with the Holy Spirit to see more hope and joy and peace and life come into the world is sacramental. It's taking something that is an earthy action and partnering with the divine objective goodness of God to create something that was not there before. And when we do that, we are bringing beauty into the world. And here's your mandate. Here's what it means for you to be alive in Hong Kong in 2021. And you are gifted in so many ways, but your primary call is to be a creator of beauty in the world. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm not very creative. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not really very creative at all. Remember what we said last week? Untangling a child's knotted hair with a hairbrush is taking chaos and bringing it into order. Being willing to sit with someone that you're broken in relationship with and doing your best to reconcile that relationship with them is bringing beauty into the world. In many small and large ways, we get to contribute creatively with the Holy Spirit to see this world change and grow. And if all of this is true, guess what? The church is the best positioned organization and family and community in the world to be able to bring beauty, the healing balm of beauty to a broken community. I mean, I mean, there is nothing else in this world that is better primed and ready to administrate the healing beauty of God's love to the world. I mean, take a look at this moment right here, right now in this room. I, I mean, we have this space, don't we, which is such a gift. We have art all around us. Have a look at the posters that are in the stairwell on the way out. We have music that's created to enable us to worship. We have conversation and sharing. We have community with one another. All of those things can testify to the beauty of God and the Spirit's transformative work in us. But when I say that the church is most primed to bring the healing balm of beauty into the world, I'm not actually just talking about the 90 minutes of us gathering here on a Sunday. What I'm actually talking about is you, the incredible people that are sitting here and watching online right now, that each one of you is a gift of God's beauty. You are carrying in you a testimony of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. 
And each one of you has gifts and talents and callings and, 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 and are placed in spheres of influence. And if there is anyone who has ever been primed to make a difference in the world, surely it is us. We, we saw last week in Isaiah 61 verse 3 that right at the end of that passage is a challenge. God says, I'm going to replace your ashes for beauty I'm going to put beauty on you instead of ashes. Why? So that you would be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I want you to think about this. A planting of the Lord for a display of his splendor. Both of these things are important. If you are a Christian, you are a planting of the Lord. That God has done a transformative work in you. Paul would say, your old is gone, your new has come. You've come out of the waters of baptism, sanctified in him. You have new hope, new life. The spirit has regenerated you, and you're walking now in glory to glory. That's the wonder of being a planting of the Lord. But you're not just that, the writer of Isaiah says. You're also that in order to display the glory of God. In other words, if all you do is get yourself saved and then hide in a little Christian bubble, then you're not actually the fullness of what God has called you to be. You are also not just a planning of the Lord, but to be displaying his glory to the world. A display of his glory. In other words, there's got to be something you're doing or saying or acting or being that shows the sphere of influence around you that Christ has made a difference in your life. That's the wonder of what it is to call, call yourself a Christian, to hold the name of Christ in you. And this is such a gift. The early church was really passionate about Christians understanding that they get to display the beauty, the glory of God to those around them. See, if evangelism and missions is about the glorification of God, about telling the world of God's glory, then we are never more beautiful than when we're actually outworking mission and evangelism in and through our lives. That's when we're most beautiful. When we're actually pointing people towards hope. Pointing people towards the glory that God has placed in their lives. And, and this, this is what the early church writers were all focused on. Wanting the church to know they're a planting in the Lord, but also a display of God's glory. Because if they didn't display his glory, how could the world know that there is hope? And could the greatest call on the church in Hong Kong right now be the need for us to be a display of the glory of God because the world and this city desperately needs to find fresh hope? I want to show you how Peter actually positions the call of the church into acts of beauty in being the very people that Christ has saved them to be. This is Peter writing to the church. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, therefore, he, by the way, he's just talked about the gospel. He's just talked about the saving power of Jesus. And he said, therefore, because of Jesus, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up, notice this, grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I want you to follow what Peter is saying here. He's saying, you have, because Christ has saved you, because he's come into your life, you've tasted and seen that he is good. That word good in the Greek is the same word for beauty. 
You've tasted and seen the beauty of God. That beauty has encountered you. You were a chaos. You come into a greater place of order. That's been good for you. So now rid yourself of all of the stuff that's going to take you back into chaos and crave this pure spiritual milk. Come to the Lord, ask for his spirit to continue to fill you, to change you, to rejuvenate you. Because you have seen his beauty and you are becoming more and more the beauty of God. You tracking this? Okay, now notice what he says next. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's basically saying here, your salvation is not just for you personally on your own. As much as you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, now come with other fellow believers and become the church. You are together, what Peter here says, is a holy priesthood. The priests in those days were the ones who facilitated the relationship for people to encounter God. Are you tracking the scripture? So, so Peter is saying, guess who are the people now who are going to facilitate the encounter of people to God? The priests are now us, the church. This is Peter saying the church must be active in the world. Saying that the church is the signpost of the glory of God. You who have encountered beauty are now to be together building up a spiritual house that can be a royal priesthood so that anyone outside could see and know the glory of God. Peter's passionate about this. Let me jump down to verse 9. He carries on the thread of the conversation. He says, but you, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see the theological thread of beauty here, right? Remember, beauty is order out of chaos. He says, you guys have gone from darkness into light. That's the trajectory you've been on. It's an amazing thing. Now, don't waste what it is that God has done. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received that mercy. So, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, because now you're a part of this new creation in Christ Jesus, to abstain from sinful desires which will war against your soul and just bring you back into more chaos. Verse 12. Here's what you should do. Live such good lives among the people around you that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good actions, your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day that he returns to us. This blows my mind what Peter's saying here. I need you just to sit with this for a moment, okay? Turn on, turn on those brains for a second, okay? This will blow your mind. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying that there is a moment, there is a time when Jesus is going to come back. In, in, in the first century when they were writing, they thought that would happen at any moment. He's like, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, everybody in the world, whether they're Christian or not, will know, taste, and see the glory and the goodness of God. That's going to happen. And he's saying, live such good lives today that when Jesus comes back and the people encounter the glory of God, they connect the goodness and the glory of God to what you had been doing back in that time. 
And when they make that connection, they will praise God. In other words, their praising of God will come because they'll connect the glory that they'll know of Jesus in that moment to the glory that they tasted when you were around them. When you didn't slander them, you weren't malice, when you walked in the opposite spirit, where you had hope when everybody else seemed to be depressed, where you were a flower at a funeral, when you were trying to live in a different, with a different spirit in the world. In all of those moments, they may slander you now, but when Jesus comes back, they will go, Jesus was always with us. They're making sense? Jesus was always with us. They'll connect the glory then to the glory now, and that will cause them to worship God. That's an amazing statement. Peter's saying, understand how important it is to be these displays of the beauty of God. The word, interestingly, that Peter chooses here for good in verse 12 is the exact same word that Plato would use so often to speak about beauty. Peter's writing about 300 years after Plato wrote the Republic. And he's writing into a Greco-Roman culture and context where they understood that it was shaped by much of what Plato, Aristotle, and the other philosophers had created. And they would have recognized that this word that Peter is using here connects to the very same thing that Plato was speaking about, the idea and the concept of beauty. And Peter is saying, live such beautiful lives, lives that are dedicated to walking out of chaos into order. Live such beautiful lives that when people see the glory of God, they'll connect it to the beauty that had been there, and they will praise him. It's a challenge by God to walk in beauty. And we get to do this in big and small ways in all aspects of our lives. Let me share a quick story with you. Last, uh, about a month ago, I, I finished my message here at the Vine. I think it was the 11 o'clock service. And I finished my message. And as I normally do, you might notice sometimes I walk out of the service before the service finishes. Don't worry, I'm not going away to lunch early. Uh, I normally go and stand at some point, whether in the upper house or here in the lower house, and say goodbye to you all as you leave. I was about to do that. I went out here, out the back, and I was going to come around to stand over here to say goodbye to you guys. As I was out in the lobby, as the final worship song was playing in here, and you guys were all worshiping, somebody from our staff came up to me and said, there's a gentleman crying in the staircase. And so I, I, I go into the staircase, and sure enough, there's a, a young boy. He's probably like 24, 25 years old, young Chinese local kid, and he's crying his eyes out. And I sit down, and I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here. Can I help you? And he can barely talk. He can't explain what's happening. He's just weeping and weeping, and I'm sitting there with him. And then, of course, the service finishes, and some 200 and something people are now rushing past us to get out, and, and he's still crying, and it's a little bit awkward, and he needs some privacy. So I, I help him, and we go into the little quiet room that's just in the back here. And I sit down with him, and for half an hour, I just, I just try to draw out his story. And, and, and slowly, he begins to unpack the reality that he's a drug addict, and he's been a drug addict for somewhat about two to two and a half years and he can't break his addiction. And it's, it's really been difficult, of course, for him and his family. And he's trying to get sober. So by the time that I met him, he was a week sober, about six days into sobriety, not having taken drugs. And his whole body was screaming for the drugs, right? And so there was this complete internal turmoil, chaos happening for him. And, and he, he's not a Christian. Uh, and he just thought a church might be able to help him. He was so desperate that he literally showed up at the vine, didn't come into the service, just out there in the corridor. And, 
And so I, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Simple, not, nothing too fancy. Just this is why we're here. I can't change you. A church isn't going to change you. But Jesus might be able to help you, can help you. The power of God to love and forgive you. And I start telling him about the gospel. And he seems to calm down a little bit. And I said, are you hungry? Because I'm hungry. He's like, yeah, I'm starving. So we went for Japanese food for lunch. I treated him to Japanese. It was awesome. He had like a crazy fish and he skinned the fish. It was awesome. And then during, during the lunch, I was praying in tongues in my head, thinking to myself, like, how can I help this guy? How can I help this guy, you know? Um, and I remembered that I've got some good friends in ministries here that help drug addicts. And so I called up one of my friends and I said, hey, I've got this guy and he seems to really want to get off drugs, but I'm not sure if we can help him. I think you guys might be able to. And I was able to connect him to that ministry. And about four days later, uh, he was accepted to go into that ministry. And he sent me a WhatsApp last week and he said, it's been really hard. Um, but, um, but I'm going into the ministry, I'm committing to the ministry, and I just want to say thank you for the hope that I have now. Now, I didn't really do much at all, other than take the time to listen to him, buy him some lunch, get him connected to someone. I'm not the guy that's going to see him come free. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. But, but I felt like I was partaking somewhat, taking grain and grapes and creating some bread and wine, participating with this young man's life so that he might experience something different in the world, that there might be some more beauty for him. And guess what? In that process, I felt like there was a little bit more beauty for me. How about for you? Let me challenge you with this. How might it be that you could usher in some beauty in this time? Where could you be bringing more order where there is chaos around you? What is it that you could usher in? Because that's what you've been created for. That's who you are. Somebody who gets to display the glory of God. And so I want to encourage some people in this room. If you're a parent in this room, particularly if you're a single parent in this room who's struggling to raise a child, I want to encourage you that every time you pause and take a moment, even in the hardness of raising that child, to speak life into them, to shape them, to bring some character into them, just to see them grow that next step, you are ushering in beauty. Or let me speak to our domestic workers in this room, who so often you're working so hard and you don't seem to get appreciation at all. You're dedicating yourself to bring order in the chaos of the family's home that you are living in. And the hours that you put in where you never get any thanks for them. God sees you and you are beautiful. Or if you're a counselor, coach, social worker, doctor, nurse, somebody in this room that's in the care industry, working on the front lines, meeting people daily who are broken and hoping that they will become whole again and you're doing your skills and giving your life to be able to bring somebody along in a healing journey in some way, God sees you and you're beautiful. If you're a lawyer in here hoping to make more justice in our city, if you're a, a teacher here hoping to shape a young life, if you're working for the government here hoping to bring um, some more structure to this place, if you're a police officer wanting to walk in integrity in the community that you're in, if you're a student wanting to study as well as you can, if you're, if you're a creative hoping to create something with your gifts and your skills that could say something about beauty in this world, if you're searching for employment right now, but you have this longing on your heart to contribute something to make this world a better place. All of you are beautiful, and you're being called by God to lean into acts of beauty that can truly change the world.
Can beauty change the world? I look around this room, I look at you, and I am confident to say yes. With what you can bring, with what is in your hand, participating in the work of the Holy Spirit, beauty can be seen. One of the ways that we see beauty so often here at the Vine is through one of our ministries called Branches of Hope. You may have heard of Branches of Hope. It's the work that we do with asylum seekers and refugees, as well as the work that we do in anti-trafficking. And one of those ministries is Stop, Stop Trafficking of Persons. And when I was writing this message, thinking about acts of beauty and the ways in which we actually funnel and bring beauty into the world, meeting people in darkness, bringing them into the light, I thought of the work of Stop because they do this day in, day out. But we don't often get to talk about it too much on a Sunday. And so I thought one of the great ways to finish this message would just be to have a short little conversation with the program director of Stop. Her name is Michelle Wong. Uh, she's with us today. Could you put your hands together as we invite Michelle to be here. How are you? Good, good. I like your, your pink. I got pink today too. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's the branding color of Stop. I thought about that when I woke up this morning. I even have a pink oh, clipboard wow, here. Yes, nice. yes, yes, I know. All right, so, so um, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot in this series about darkness, uh, about chaos, uh, and about the reality of that in the world. And I know the work that you guys do in STOP, uh, unfortunately, means that you're entrenched in a lot of darkness as you're working with people that are caught in slavery. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that experience for you? Sure. So uh, thank you, Andrew, for thinking of STOP and also the community of uh, trafficking person. Um, and it is a privilege for me to speak here on behalf of the community as well. Um, so ever since I started to uh, in get in touch with uh, uh, survivors of human trafficking, I am shocked that uh, how dark the world can be. So human trafficking is a crime. So it's uh, by using the means like uh, deception, coercion, uh, the threat of violation and also abuse of power. Uh, the trafficker has a control over uh, an, another person for the sake of uh, exploitation. Uh, so usually trafficker, uh, they would offer like false hope so that uh, the people think that they can get into a great opportunity for uh, their uh, better future. Um, the trafficker use hope and trust as the bait uh, to make the manipulate the vulnerable people to fall for their tricks and become the uh, victim of trafficking. Uh, so take uh, one of our clients as example. So one of our clients were, was betrayed by her friends. Uh, her so-called friends uh, say that uh, they will uh, arrange uh, a job opportunity for her in Hong Kong. And then our clients paid uh, 20,000 Hong Kong dollars to come to Hong Kong just to find out that the employment contract uh, was fake. And the em employer uh, stayed in the contract, uh, didn't exist. And then end up she spent uh, two years staying in Hong Kong uh, with uh, no pay, no place to stay, uh, fighting for a lawsuit um, and uh, unable to support their families. Um, so usually uh, trafficking uh, victims, they are trapped by uh, forced labor, sex trade, uh, the freedom of movement is restricted, and also they are suffering from like excess excessive long working hours or dead bondage. Um, 
yeah, so, um, but above all, uh, no darkness can compare with losing hope in their life mm. and also losing trust in people. I think when we think about um, our world, uh, which can be a very dark place, and like I say, you guys are experiencing that darkness at levels that many of us probably don't. Um, but for each one of us, when we see that darkness, it can be overwhelming. And that often our, our response to being overwhelmed is that we shut down. We, we, we kind of avoid or we run away or we don't actually walk in and offer hope. We want to kind of just avoid it or pretend it's not even there. Um, what are some ways that, that you guys have learned to, to kind of handle the darkness or at, at least to kind of not walk away but actually walk towards it? Yes, human beings, so uh, we empathize. Uh, so we uh, built to uh, show compassion to uh, each other. And uh, we feel bad when we see someone is suffering, right? Um, uh, for instance, I uh, remember one of uh, our, um, our friends. Um, sh uh, we come across this case a few years ago. She was a drug mule, so she was uh, framed by a stranger in the airport. And uh, someone put uh, drugs in her suitcase and right now she is halfway through her um, 10 plus year sentences in Hong Kong. Uh, so STOP team, uh, we write letter to her regularly and just to show her that um, someone out there uh, is still supporting her and uh, care about her. Uh, but in this kind of situation, there's not much we can do. Uh, so I think that uh, sometimes when we see this kind of suffering, uh, this is larger than us. Uh, seems like we uh, feel uh, quite helpless, helpless with that. Mm. Um, so um, people try to avoid this kind of uh, problem. So to pretend that there's uh, uh, nothing, um, nothing bad uh, happen in the world. So there's a term called uh, vicarious uh, traumatization. So usually it means that. Um, when we are um, indirectly exposed to this kind of bad things, uh, chaos in the world, uh, even us as an outsider, we will feel traumatized. Mm. So mm. I think that's why people want to live in their own little bubbles. But that doesn't mean um, it would go away by itself. So, um, yeah. So um, for, for me, um, in the past years for working with uh, marginalized people, um, I often feel inspired by um, the uh, strength of the su uh, survivors. The more time I spend with them, mm. um, the more admire uh, from, from me uh, to, to them about their strength and resilience. So and later on, I come across a term called uh, vicarious resilience. It means that uh, positive uh, transformation and empowerment just by witnessing the survivors uh, being able to fight and strive. Mm. So here I want to um, quote um, second uh, of um, Corinthians chapter one. Praise be to the God and fathers of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in, an, in any troubles 
with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Mm. So as us, we are being, uh, we are very blessed being here, and we, as a chosen one, I encourage you all to be the light uh, for someone in the darkness. Yeah, that's great. What What are some ways that I, I think on Friday we just celebrated the the Global Day of uh, kind of um, kind of standing against those that are trafficking. Um, so uh, that was a, a really important day for you and the work that you do. Um, but what are some ways that we can practically, as a church, continue to walk with Stop, uh, maybe support the work, or even like use our sphere of influences to raise awareness uh, to shed that light in a in a pretty dark thing. Yeah, so last Friday was um, World Day Against uh, Trafficking in Person. So we had a little gathering with our clients and our volunteer cooks meals uh, with the clients and we share food and then we play a little games. <laughs> so we had a great time with a lot of laughter. Um, yeah, so uh, I think uh, for the church here, we are uh, all here to uh, support um, the vulnerable uh, and marginalized people. So um, I have a few things that I want to ask you to do right now. Uh, can you all get your phone out? And then, yeah, so can you see there's a QR code here. So the first thing I encourage all you all to do is to educate yourself, to know more about human trafficking issue by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, sometimes our team would uh, jokes about like uh, we are being like an influencer. <laughs> so I think everyone is an advocate here. So um, to just by learning about human trafficking issue, we can avoid contributing to the chain of modern slavery. Hmm. So um, if you feel resonated, you can share our post uh, to let your friends know about um, modern slavery, the human trafficking, this kind of uh, chaos is happening in the world. It can help to change the world a little bit by little bit. Mm, that's great. Um, and, and there's an info session coming up as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. So uh, last week we have this little postcard putting on the uh, seats, but uh, this time if you want to get it, it can, you can find, it, uh, find our booth outside of the auditorium. And this is a card uh, that we made for uh, World Day of Against Trafficking. It said, uh, illuminating another's path always brightens yours. So we got like six ways that you can join us uh, to combat human trafficking with us. And then uh, on uh, 15th of August, uh, we have an info session for STOP uh, in here in the Vine Church. So if you want to know more about STOP's uh, work and also uh, want to know more about the volunteer opportunities, you can scan the QR code here and then find more information and uh, get to the sign-up link. Mm. So I hope to see you all on that day. Mm. Well, we really admire you, Michelle, and your team uh, for the incredible work that you do because it's not easy work. Um, but I think if there's ever an example of what acts of beauty look like, helping people to go from that place of chaos to order, it's what you guys are doing. So we honor you. Can we put our hands together and just bless Michelle. Thank you so much. Can you guys stand with me? And uh, I want to pray for us. Uh, I want to challenge and encourage you to consider what it is that you could do to bring more beauty into your sphere of influence uh, as you think about partnering in participation with the Holy Spirit in evangelism and mission and helping to see uh, that order come from the chaos around us. So why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for each person in this room, each sphere of influence that they have and where you have planted them, Lord. 
as we heard in that Isaiah passage, they are a planting of the Lord, each person here. But they are also to be a display of your splendor, your glory, your goodness, your beauty. And Lord, we do that by reaching out in the various ways that we can, sharing your gospel, living such good lives as Peter challenges us before those in this world, that they can see a glimpse of what your beauty is so that when you come into their lives, they will be able to connect those things together and praise you. And Lord, we thank you for the 21 people getting baptized today who are a beautiful picture to us of what that beauty looks like. And Father, each one of us has our own testimony of the work that you've done in our lives in this area. So Lord, would you give us better insight and wisdom how we can begin to do this more and more in the world that is around us. Would your spirit, because we recognize it is a work of your spirit, would your spirit fall on us so that we may participate, taking that grain and the grapes, turning it into bread and into wine. We thank you that you call us into that. What a privilege it is to be your people, your chosen people, your royal priesthood. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Why don't we respond together in a time of worship?